This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering My Trustmark online and mobile banking services to help monitor spending, pay bills, deposit checks, transfer money, and more. Anytime, anywhere. More information at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Our guest today is Charles Mortimer, owner and manager at Windsor Properties of Mississippi. He'll walk us through the finer points of real estate investment while answering your questions. Our financial advisors are on hand for the discussion and to take your personal finance questions. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Nancy. Let's start with you. What financial news happened this week that you'd like to share with us? Well, good morning, Kevin. Uh, Of course, we're heading into the holidays, which is typically a big retail season. Our retailers often hang their hats on what happens over Christmas. And this is coinciding with spikes in the virus. And so even though we've had some good news about the progress of a vaccine, people are getting very nervous. And what we're seeing in the numbers is that we're pulling back on our retail spending. And so we will be watching this closely to see what happens to the rest of the year. Uh, in recent years, had more shopping gone online, and, and I guess that probably has increased this year due to the virus. Right. We have certainly seen a growth in online shopping, and that has been accelerated with all of us being at home and depending on that. But it's still only, you know, 20 percent or less, even with all of this going on. So folks still like to go into stores and shop, and um, certainly we tend to probably shop more and buy more when we go in and browse versus if we're online. But really overshadowing all of this is this concern about being in groups and how we're going to proceed with Christmas and the holidays, and uh, this is going to be interesting to watch as an investor. You know, it's a, a good point that I'd not thought about, that uh, when you shop online, you pretty much, I think, a, a lot of times have something in particular that you want, and you can search specifically for that item, whereas if you go to a mall or shopping, there are so many stores, and you walk through stores, and you see all this other stuff that might catch your eye, and you might purchase it. And I'm finding even when I do go into a store, for instance, if I go to the grocery store with my mask on, um, it's a little harder for me to do that impulse shopping. Uh, I basically go in, get what I need and leave. I'm not really uh, wanting to hang out a lot in there. And I certainly don't see as well with the mask on. So I'm wondering if that has an impact on on how much we purchase. Uh, Good morning to you, Ryder. We're more than halfway through November and almost to the end of 2020. What money matters will you share with us today? So, uh, interesting story, and I was trying to find, we had a caller about this a couple months back when Tesla was kind of not added to the S&P 500 index when everybody thought they would be. And, you know, the S&P 500 index, the largest 500 companies in the U.S. generally, uh, it is done by committee, so there are some kind of rules around it. But Tesla is a very large company, and it's grown very large very quickly, and uh, people viewed it as a snub they were not added. Well, it was announced last night that they would be added. And um, 
the press release from S&P kind of sheds a little light into it. It is one of the largest additions they have uh, made to the index. Um, the last kind of one of this size was when they added Berkshire Hathaway about 10 years ago. Uh, so that might have been some of the issue um, because they now have a consultation open of how are we going to add it, um, although they have picked a date um, in December to add Tesla to the S&P 500. Uh, so remind us, is that uh, something that's systematically done on a regular basis, or do they just meet when they feel there's a need to add companies? So how is the index updated? So, yes, they meet quarterly. I mean, they do meet on a regular basis, um, and they they kind of look at the rules. Right? It, you know, they don't have to add or subtract anything from the index at any given meeting. Um, but generally speaking, they have a a cutoff for, you know, at what point, you know, if you go below a certain size, they will drop you. And if you go above a certain size, they will try to add you. They have some requirements about positive earnings for a couple of quarters. Um, and they do have concerns, kind of a growing concern, especially with so many um, index funds uh, tracking the S&P 500. They want it to be a liquid stock. They want, you know, the, the, the share price uh, to be reasonable. They want it to be fairly easy for folks to buy um, because they do, they are recognizing that when they choose to add a company to the, that that index, um, there there's $5 trillion worth of uh, money tracking that index. Um, and so they, they do try to be cognizant of that. And if you're interested in the S&P 500, we did do a show about that. Uh, our producer, Liz Gill, reminds me that, that it was the September 8th of 2020 show, so you can go back on, on our archive or podcast and listen back to that episode um, if you would like to. We do have a guest on our show this morning, and it's Charles Mortimer, owner and manager at Windsor Properties of Mississippi. He's going to answer our questions about real estate investing. Charles, thanks uh, for being on our show this morning. If you would, tell us about your experience in real estate and the financial world. Uh, thanks. Uh, glad to be here. Well, about 10 years ago, I started buying some rental properties, and it's been very successful so far. <laughs> Um, how does someone make money in the real estate market? Well, there's two ways. I got in it primarily for cash flow, but then, you know, appreciation value is kind of like the landing up on top. Uh, with rental properties, and we'll get into this later, you know, use OPM, other people's money, and leverage it. And, uh, and it's the best way to get cash flow. <laughs> and, and then appreciated value? Well, over time, it, you know, it's, it's the old cliche, real estate, best three things in real estate are location, location, and location. All of my properties are in the Bellhaven area, and they have appreciated. Uh, I've had them appraised because I've refinanced several of them, so I've seen the appreciation over the last 10 years. So I've gotten, you know, quite a bit of uh, value due to appreciated value. That would only, you know, I would only realize that if and when I sell the properties. Uh, meanwhile, the cash flow is coming in after after all my expenses. So it does look like you can earn money both in the short term and the long term when investing in real estate. And you mentioned that you got into it, I think you said about 10 years ago. What uh, what was it about real estate investment uh, that interested you and wanted uh, that sort of urged you to get involved? Well, I'd worked for several companies that uh, had gone out of business or sold out uh, with <laughs> 
was in banking for many years till deposit guarantee sold out. CFO of a local company, and it sold out. And I decided I wanted to go to work for myself. And I'd always owned, you know, one or two rental properties, even when we were in Dallas. And uh, I had some some dry powder, some cash that I could use for down payments. And the first three duplexes I purchased were from a young couple who thought they wanted to get into this business. Uh, they were both architects, and they had bought these three duplexes and uh, discovered that it was a lot more work and they were not making the money they thought they would because they were having to pay plumbers and electricians and all that. They couldn't do any of the work themselves. And so I bought my first properties from them, and many of my other properties I've purchased have been the same from people that thought that this would be a good idea, only to discover it was more work than they wanted. Yeah, I, I know that uh, my parents uh, were uh, landlords for a time in a, in a college town, and, and they, they took the same route eventually that it was a little bit more, uh, they bit off a little bit more than they can chew. So it's definitely uh, something that you need to think about and, and maybe do your research on the front end. But as you say, uh, if you're willing and able to put in that work, it, it, it can give you that cash flow. Exactly. So if you have a small amount of capital, what are some ways to diversify your investments uh, concerning uh, by going into real estate? Well, it's really changed a lot lately. There's some online uh, crowdsource funding uh, opportunities for people as little as $500. Um, and I have uh, associates that have, have a lot of rental properties in um, some less expensive areas than the Bellhaven area, uh, South Jackson, West Jackson. And they can buy, buy single-family homes there pretty inexpensively. They probably will not have the appreciation value opportunity, uh, you know, for, from a more expensive area. Nancy, we talk a lot about mutual funds on the show. Uh, can real estate be part of someone's uh, portfolio? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you don't want to have actual pieces of property that you're managing and um, handling that way, you can get some exposure to real estate through mutual funds or other pooled funds. There's a thing called a real estate investment trust. And a real estate investment trust is just a portfolio of real property. And um, they are required to send out 90% of those cash flows, that rental income, out to their shareholders. And so it's a good way to get that exposure without all the risk that comes with being a landlord, which uh, often there's lumpy cash flows. Because as Charles alluded to, sometimes you have bigger expenses that pop up, and you have to be prepared for that. Um, so, And it's also um, a way to get exposure that doesn't lock your money in. So if it's a, a mutual fund that invests in real estate, a real estate investment trust, then it's pretty easy for you to cash out at any time. And with real property, it's not that simple. If you have a question for our experts, you could you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We are discussing real estate investment. How prevalent is home renting in the U.S.? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app, and you can listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the Think Radio shows on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We're visiting this morning with our guest Charles Mortimer of Windsor Properties of Mississippi. There are almost 44 million renter occupied homes in the U.S., in contrast to 75 million owner occupied homes. Before we jump back into things, we do have a caller on the line, so we say good morning uh, to Dennis in Ocean Springs. Dennis, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Uh, just a couple of concerns. Number one, I want to agree and, and echo what he said about, you know, this investing is not for everybody. Unless you're handy and you know how to fix things. I'll give you a little example. A friend of mine, when I was in the Air Force, he left some property behind in another state and he, he rented it out. He had a tenant that always paid his rent, but every time something went wrong, and I'll give you the example he used, a sprinkler head. The guy would run over a sprinkler head with a mower. You know, you and I would go down to Lowe's, buy a new sprinkler head for two bucks and screw it in. He couldn't be bothered to do that. He had to call out somebody. It turned into a $140, you know, repair bill. And it just, you know, it got to the point where he couldn't even depend on a a regular income stream because he never knew what was going to break next. My father, who was a pretty astute investor in Denver, Colorado, he bought and sold, and as you know about the Denver real estate market, it's up and down. Right now, it's up. I think the median price is half a million dollars. But when he died, he or before he died, obviously, he, he told me, he said, you know, he said, all a wheel and a deal, and I did, I would have been better off just leaving that money in an index stock fund, and it would have been a heck of a lot less trouble with, you know, some of the tenants that he had. The last thing I want to bring up is the value of real estate. This is this has concerned me for a while, and I've talked to a few realtors, and they just don't seem to understand my point. Interest rates are very, very low, and we act in this country like they're going to be that low forever. Now, when you're talking about the value of your home, I can say my home is worth $300,000. Well, whatever I say is fine, but what it's really worth is what somebody's willing to pay. And if interest rates are 3 4%, you can afford a heck of a lot more house than you can if interest rates are 7 8 9 10%. And some of you who are a little older, you know that's not unusual. I remember when we lived in California in the 70s, you were lucky to get 12.8%. If that ever happens again, and and the economy is cyclical, uh, your house is worth a lot of money, you think. It might appreciate in what you think it's worth, but people aren't going to be able to qualify to buy it. 
because suddenly instead of making a three, you know, three thousand dollar house payment, it's going to be a five thousand dollar house payment, and they won't qualify. I believe that's going to push prices back down. So if you bought something thinking it was a bargain at three percent, and it doubles or triples, you may discover you're actually going to going to lose money. Uh, I'll get off the air now. Thanks. Thanks, Dennis. Uh, thanks for calling in this morning. Uh, Charles, any kind of reaction to some of the things that Dennis talked about? Yes, I totally agree with him. Uh, I'm not as pessimistic about interest rates in the in the near future. <laughs> I think it's going to be a while before we get get back to the 7 8% range. Um, and, and when I bought my properties, uh, I put about half of them on, you know, 30-year conventional mortgages. Most of the others I've just done on bank loans, like a conventional, not a conventional mortgage, but just a, a straight, you know, commercial loan secured by real estate, and they're on 20-year amortizations with five-year balloons, so that every five years the interest rate resets. So going in, I knew I was going to take some interest rate risk, but over the last 10 years, that's worked out pretty well, and uh, a lot of them are coming up this year, actually, for the third renewal, and <laughs> rates are basically zero. So uh, by the time this one's over, most of them will be paid off. So that's worked out pretty well for me. But I did take an interest rate risk. Uh, Ryder, do you have any reaction to uh, to Dennis's comments? Um, yeah. So that is, you know, one good point. You know, he mentioned, you know, his 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 father buying and selling real estate, and maybe it didn't work out as well as something else. And you know, that's a little bit of, in hindsight, we always we always want to look at, oh, well, I should have just done this instead. Um, and that may be true. And but you know, as far as the uh, a, a broad house price decline, you know, just over any given market, you know, price declines. Um, I kind of wonder, maybe Charles can give us a little more details here. You know, of course, price, you know, you may not get all that price appreciation over, you know, some period of time, but is there, is there some period of time where you say, say over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, where you expect even with ups and downs in the market, you still expect it to appreciate in value? And also, you know, especially, you know, this year in big cities, we've been hearing about, you know, rents coming down. Um, you know, normally maybe you might expect that cash flow to be fairly stable, but um, what's your experience with uh, rents fluctuating? Well, as far as rents fluctuating, mostly that has been in the larger cities, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., people moving out of the cities, uh, largely due to COVID, and I'm not sure if a lot of those are coming back. So that really has driven down uh, rental rates in the cities, larger cities. It really hasn't, hasn't had an effect here that I've seen, thankfully. <laughs> Uh, we're visiting today with Charles Mortimer of Windsor Properties of Mississippi. So if we talk about uh, some real estate investing, uh, types of real estate investments, uh, Charles, let's start with home ownership. How is that an investment? Well, home ownership is the most common one in the United States, around the world, I suppose. Uh, and most people, and you're talking about historically that real estate does typically improve over time, you know. Over the long term, it is uh, has been a sound investment, and when people buy a home, you know, and when you have ups and downs in the real estate market, historically that has been a localized uh, effect. You know, I remember when the Houston and Dallas area got overbuilt. But meanwhile, Atlanta was booming. 
the only difference, the only big change was in the 08 crash, and that was a nationwide. You know, if you were at the end of a 30-year term like then and wanted to sell your house, you were in bad shape because uh, 08 was a, a nationwide crash. But typically, you know, the whole whole country would not be down in real estate. It's been more of a localized thing. But as far as buying a home, you know, if you want a conventional mortgage, you've got to have 20 percent uh, down payment, and that's 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 tough for a lot of people. But that's that's about what it averages now. And people are, I see people trying to uh, get better financing, and some you know, banks are looking at that. But let's remember what happened to the 08 crash and how that came about. You know, they they loosened up the the lending. Instead of 20% down, you could get zero down. You could get interest-free for five years, and then the payment goes up. So, but historically, home ownership has been the largest uh, asset of most families in the United States, and it's and it, most of the time it ha it will be a good investment over the long term. I guess and right so. now, with rates so low, I would encourage everybody, you know, buying a house to get go with a 15-year mortgage, and you can pay it off pretty quick. I agree with that. I've promoted that before on this show. Yep, and I've had several, you know, younger folks have asked me about, you know, getting in the rental properties and how could they start, and I always recommend. I said, find a duplex and buy a duplex. Live in one side or one half and rent out the other side, and that'll cover your mortgage. And if you'll pay the mortgage and then apply that rent to the mortgage on a 15-year mortgage, you can have it paid off in seven or eight years, and you're off to the races. I guess one of the obvious reasons to invest in a home is that everybody needs a place to live. Uh, Charles, are there some other good reasons why home ownership is a good investment? Well, it's good for the overall economy. I think, think about when somebody buys a house. They're not just buying a house. They're buying draperies. They're buying appliances. They're buying furniture. And that's one of the main drivers of the economy in the United States is home ownership. That's why, you know, everybody tracks the, you know, new home starts and and resales of existing homes because that's what drives a lot of the United States economy. Uh, then when we talk about rental properties, one of the points you just made was that, you know, you, you suggested to uh, younger investors to, to buy a duplex, and that way you're renting out part of your property while living in another part of it. Um, what about some cautions, though, when uh, dealing uh, or when investing uh, in rental property? Uh, we talked about the maintenance, but I guess also uh, sometimes the market might fluctuate. Sometimes you might have people beating down your door to rent. Other times, maybe not. Exactly. And, you know, that's why when I first got into it, if your first investment in a rental property, I would say go with a, a duplex. Uh, you're less likely to have both sides vacant at the same time. If you have a single family house and the tenant moves out, then you've got zero income, but you've still got to pay your mortgage. <laughs> so duplexes are a little safer. Also, I would imagine you certainly can keep a closer eye on your investment if you're living in one half while renting out the other half. <laughs> exactly. Like right now, when I have most of my properties are duplexes and fourplexes, and when one side somebody will move out of one side of a duplex, the first thing I do is ask the other tenants on the other side, "Do you have any friends you would recommend?" Because they're not going to recommend anybody bad live next to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, a wise strategy. I like that idea. Uh, before our next break, let's get another call in, and it's uh, Carrie who's called in from Brookhaven. Carrie, go ahead, please. 
Hi, everybody. Good morning. Uh, my question is if you could just talk about uh, just generally investing in real estate in Mississippi and what areas you would advise looking into and if you recommend looking outside uh, for a first-time uh, real estate investor. And I'll take it offline. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie, for your call. Go ahead, Charles. Well, I think with real estate, you ought to invest in what you know. Uh, if you know the local market, um, I would not advise, you know, investing in real estate, you know, far away if you're actually buying a piece of property because it's very difficult to manage. I mean, I live in the Bellhaven area. I can be at any of my properties within 10 minutes. So that's been very easy. Um, but I would recommend, uh, you know, investing in the areas that where you know. You know what the rental rates would be. You know what the rental market is. So that's, that's the best way to go. We're discussing investing in property this morning. What's the biggest regret that home buyers have? We'll tell you about that next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, our personal financial broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. And our guest today is Charles Mortimer of Windsor Properties of Mississippi. Unexpected repairs and maintenance was cited by 36% of homeowners as their biggest home buying regret. And I know that we talk frequently about uh, keeping an emergency fund, and especially important for homeowners, uh, have some money socked away so if some unexpected repair cost comes up, uh, you won't be caught uh, too uh, short. Uh, so, Charles, we've talked about homeownership and renting. I'm wondering how uh, Airbnb or vacation rental by owners uh, falls into the real estate investment continuum. Right. I know there are a lot of Airbnbs uh, in the Jackson area, and I've considered uh, turning a few of my rental properties into that, but I've, I've decided against it just because, you know, most of the visits to Jackson are going to be one or two nights as opposed to a vacation area where you may stay a, a week or a couple of weeks, and then you have to pay for cleaning every, you know, every night. 
and I just didn't want to get into that. But it's a, you know, in vacation area, I think it's a very good way to go. Uh, I know when, you know, over the years, my family's gone skiing in Colorado. We always uh, rented from VRBO, vacation rental by owner. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, I know, you know, I've several successful ones here in Jackson have, have done that. Uh, what are some are there some unique challenges or some things to keep in mind when when going that route specifically that you can think of? If you have an Airbnb unit, you know you're responsible for you know if you have people there one night, then you've got to pay for having it cleaned and and the sheets washed and all of that, you know, for one night, just like a hotel. So that's going to eat up a lot of your uh, your profit right there. This is uh, Liz Gill, producer. I want to inject a personal experience that I had. My sister-in-law needed to get a transplant and went to the hospital at Duke in North Carolina, and they needed to rent a home for six to eight weeks. And there was an yeah. individual who kind of got on friendly with the uh, transplant coordinating team at the medical center and he was on the list as a place that they uh, he owned a number of houses in uh, uh, the area and so it, he was suggested to them for a place that they could rent for uh, extended stays for six to eight weeks and he also was with some uh, businesses that would have temporary uh, employees or contractors come in as a possible place to live. So that could be a way for an investor to insert themselves and get their uh, product out there. Exactly. And, and in that situation, you have to provide a, a furnished apartment. I think that's an interesting uh, point to raise and kind of goes back to what Charles said earlier about knowing your market, because knowing your market is knowing where your paying tenants are going to come from. And if your market is, you know, uh, you know, medium term rentals, because I have connections at the hospital and large businesses, then that's, you know, that's a unique, interesting market that you can, you can develop. Or, you know, a lot of people like, uh, think about college towns because you, you have a constant supply of, uh, fresh, fresh tenants coming in every year. So knowing your market is all about who is going to be renting this property. Uh, so Charles, exactly. Um, Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, my uh, brother and sister-in-law own a condo uh, in Pensacola, and for the longest time, they uh, rented it out. Uh, they used like a third-party sort of a property management uh, company, uh, and I guess uh, one obvious shortcoming of there is, I guess you've got to pay them some money. What are your thoughts about having someone help you manage when you're ha when you have rental property? Right, and vacation areas like. You know, like Pensacola, Destin, that area, the, those property managers are typically going to take 40% as their fee, and that's pretty high. <laughs> Our family's had a place down there, and we've experienced the same thing. Uh, typically around here, um, you know, property, if I turn my properties over to a property manager, they're going to charge typically 10%, and that's 10% of gross revenue. So that's right off the top. So that, that takes a pretty good chunk out of, out of your... Uh, out of your profit. And then that property manager, if that sprinkler head breaks or the washing machine breaks, they're not going to go fix it themselves. They're going to call a plumber or an appliance repairman, and then you're going to get hit with that bill. 
so it it'll cut down your profits quite a bit I do most of my own maintenance if I'm out of town and something breaks then you know I'll call the plumber or call the electrician but I'll try to go there first and, and and look at it when I was buying those first three duplexes ten years ago I drove by uh, one day while we were still under contract and I saw a well-known uh, electrician's truck parked in front of it and I saw him walking out and I said excuse me I'm about to buy these properties is, is there a problem he said oh no I'm just replacing a light switch that was broken and I laughed and I said well how much did that cost he said well the switch was two dollars <laughs> but my basic call was eighty dollars and I said well, how often have you been here at these three duplexes in the last say year and he pulled up his laptop and said oh we've been out here 15 times mm. and I'm thinking there goes all of those owners profits <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's another area that I wanted to ask about, uh, Charles, and it's uh, anybody who watches uh, cable television might be maybe kind of mesmerized into thinking, gosh, I could make all sorts of cash and how easy it is. Uh, first of all, just your general thoughts on, on house flipping. Uh, they make it look very easy on television. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, house flipping and I flipped before I got into this full time. I bought a duplex, renovated it, got it rented out, and then sold it, and did very well on it. Uh, but I did most of the work myself. I hired an electrician to do some of the, the heavy lifting. But uh, no, flipping, but you need to be able to do a lot of the work yourself, or at least be able to oversee it so that you're the general contractor. And if you have to hire a contractor and he brings in all the subs, uh, it's going to cost quite a bit. But with, with any of this, though, it's all about getting the upfront cost correct. Whether it's a car you're going to renovate, whether it's a boat you're going to renovate, whether it's a, a rental property you're going to renovate, it's the upfront cost that is the most important factor. So if you get it at the right price, if you're flipping, and you're, and I would recommend if you're going to do that, you know, get in a neighborhood uh, or a development where there are a lot of homes selling at about the same price. You know, it's a development. You know, it may be 30 years old, 40 years old. But you can have a pretty good idea of what that house is going to sell for then when it's renovated. So you know you need to get it, you know, below that. Get Find the worst house in a decent neighborhood and buy that one. And if you can get it, say, 40000 under market, put 20000 in it, flip it make 20000 but there, there's a risk to that though you need to have the potential to do pretty well because uh, you could get stuck holding it for a few several months and you're paying that mortgage every month and you know a thousand dollars a thousand dollars a thousand dollars there goes a lot of your profit you know, I think with all this that we're talking about, research going into is, is important, but it sounds like, especially for house flipping, that really is important that you do your research on the front end, as you said, Charles, to know about the neighborhood and to know uh, how much money you can expect to get so you can then plan accordingly on how much money you would want to sink into it. That's exactly right. Um, and again, it is maybe that we're just more aware of it because on TV, or is house flipping a, a relatively new thing, or has it been around for a while and just the TV folks finally discovered it? It's been around for a while. Of course, the TV shows have gotten more people into it. And you know, if you get in areas where the appreciation is pretty rapid, then uh, that's where you can make some good money. You know, if you can buy, find a house or a property that doesn't need too much work and, as we say, do a lipstick job on it where you're just painting it, updating some of the finishes, 
but sometimes it takes a lot more than lipstick. You have to <laughs> you have to get into the walls and uh, update the plumbing and the wiring. So, but you you know you didn't need to do a good analysis of that before you buy and find out exactly what it's going to take. I tell people you know, when I've done that that I'll I'll go through it you know with a fine tooth comb, make a list of exactly what I think everything's going to cost, and then triple it. <laughs> That's that's about what's going to happen. And I would say one final comment is that, you know, the things that uh, the person doing the flipping probably dreads the most is, as you mentioned, Charles, that sort of unexpected uh, problem comes up. That, oh, that's what the TV shows love because, you know, the, there's a, a leak in somewhere and we go to break and then uh, after the commercial we find out how they solve the problem. But uh, it's it's interesting sort of a catch-22 on that one. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, taxes for real estate properties. Uh, what the sort of uh, tax uh, obligations are involved with this? Well, I mean, I've got, I'm set up as an LLC, so it's just like any other business. Uh, unique to real estate, though, is uh, depreciation. And so that's, a, that's probably the most challenging thing to keep up with. But any of the, the tax software uh, does it very well. They all have programs for landlords. Uh, so depreciation probably shields, you know, 40% of my, of my income. So that's nice to have. Uh, why did you choose to go the route of have, having the LLC? As, as opposed to, you know, a C-Corp, and probably only about 4 or 5% of companies in the United States are C-Corps, and those are the publicly traded ones. 95% of all companies in the United States are either uh, sub-S or LLCs. And you get, you know, some, uh, some protection from that. But it's it's a pass-through type of tax setup, so there's no separate tax on the company and then on me. It just all flows through my income, my tax return. We're talking about investing in property. How much do Americans spend on rent? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. We're glad you're listening to our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. 
Approximately half of renters are spending more than 30% on their income on rent. We're discussing real estate investing with our guest today, Charles Mortimer, owner and manager of Windsor Properties of Mississippi. And Charles, before I let the hour get through, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this morning. You really uh, have been giving some answers that uh, that I think are, are easy to understand and, and appreciate it. And someone like me who doesn't know a lot about this uh, am able to follow along. So do really appreciate uh, your joining us this morning and helping us out. Thanks. No problem. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, real estate investment groups. What is that? Uh, real estate investment group, is, that's more of an informal uh, entity. I mean, it can take the form of a partnership or just a group that meets every month. Uh, it really doesn't have any specific uh, real estate limitation or requirements as opposed to a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Uh, real estate investment groups, some of them will have, you know, the core partners will put up money and they will buy properties and the other people can invest in it with them. Some groups, I know there's one here in Jackson, uh, I'm, I'm not a member of that, but I know they meet monthly uh, at lunch and people can bring properties they have for sale uh, and other people can go together and buy, buy groups. Uh, there's really no one uh, method of formation for a real estate investment group. Uh, it's an unregulated uh, group. Most of, if they do formalize, it'll be typically in form of a partnership, as opposed to a REIT, real, real estate investment trust. As Nancy was saying earlier, that's a publicly traded entity. And most of the real estate investment trusts or REITs, R-E-I-T-S, uh, have typically invested in commercial real estate. But after 08, when some of these groups bought up thousands of homes and, and started renting them, you have some REITs now that are single, you know, groups of thousands of single-family homes. So that's, as Nancy said, that's another good way to initially get into investing. And I guess one advantage with uh, both the investment group and the investment trust is you're joining a, a, a pooled money group, so there's more money to spend, I guess. That's correct. All right. Uh, looks like one we, of the uh, go ahead. One of the one of the uh, neat new thing that's come up in the last few years is uh, online uh, crowd crowdsource funding. Uh, there's a the one that I've looked at quite a bit called Fundrise. F U N D R I S E. Fundrise dot com. It's crowdsource investing, and for as little as five hundred dollars, you can invest in that. They say on their website they've got about $4.8 billion worth of properties. It's about 200 different properties, a mix of uh, commercial and residential apartment complexes and commercial properties. So that would be a good way for somebody who's interested to get into it, just to look at that. And there's several online like that. Got a couple of calls here to wrap things up. We'll start again on the phones with Aaron in Jackson. Good morning, Aaron. Go ahead, please. Hey, I just want to say uh, it's a great show today. Really enjoy all the information. Some of it's above my head and others isn't, but uh, great information on it. And kudos to um, to who does work on houses and flips them and does other things. So I have a brother that does this, and um, he got into it kind of late uh, when he was about 50, I guess. He's been in it almost 10 years, but he's able, fortunate enough that he can buy his houses outright and work on at his own speed and not have to worry about paying interest on it and whatnot. But, uh, anyway, I, I could probably do this, but I have seen the work those guys do, and it is you better know what you're doing. I mean, it, like you know, like y'all talked about, if, if you don't, you're going to be spending a lot of money on 
different contractors coming in and doing stuff for you. But anyway, I just want to say kudos to you all for doing it. It's, a, it's a definitely a tough job, but uh, great information on the show today. Just glad to listen to it and let you know. All right, Thanks, Aaron. guys. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's get one final call in, and this time we're speaking with Bradley in Tupelo. Good morning, Bradley. You're on the air with us. Uh, greetings. Good morning. Um, my question is kind of a hypothetical. Is there something to be said for instead of sinking all of your money and mortgage payments into a, a home or real estate, simply taking all of that and putting it into an investment portfolio over 15 years compared to a mortgage over 15 years. I wonder if the money in the pardon me, investment portfolio might exceed the value of the house. So I want to uh, note a couple of things about that. One, you know, with a stock portfolio, it's very easy for you to say reinvest your dividends. And, you know, in a stock portfolio, your dividends are your cash flow. And that's maybe a small part of your of your total value there. Uh, whereas in real estate, I think a lot of folks expect the cash flow to be a, a much larger part. Um, however, in real estate, it's a little harder just to reinvest your cash flow because it's you know, you have to go find a whole new building to purchase. Um, and one other thing, one aspect that is favorable to real estate is the fact that there is very good financing available. It is, you know, again, like Charles mentioned, you know, real estate is a very important part of our economy. And, you know, as such, it's mortgages have very good terms on them. You can borrow money for 30 years uh, that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pay the whole amount all, all on the front end, whereas stocks, it's a little more, um, it's harder to buy with leverage and uh, the leverage that is offered does not have nearly the terms that a fixed rate mortgage does. So uh, there are some advantages to both, um, but in the long term, you know, I generally think that um, stock prices are a little more levered to the inflationary growth of the economy um, than uh, house prices. But there are just okay. different aspects to both. Yeah, I just meant uh, you'd rent during the 15 years, hypothetically, and you'd probably have somebody have to manage that portfolio for you. I'm not so sure. I don't know what to, you know, it's just hypothetical. So Bradley, it seems to me would, at the end of it, you'd have cash. Uh, Bradley, I would say to you, and and my hat's off to um, our guest because he knows what he's doing in the real estate market. I prefer to invest in real estate through my home. So if the question is, do I purchase my own home or do I rent it and then invest? Well, the problem is you have to have a place to live. And so if you're going to make a payment every month, you might as well be making a payment that is building up equity or ownership in that house. So if that's the question, I- Be careful there, Nancy. <laughs> okay, I will stick with owning the home. But um, the only downside of that is when you own a home, you're pretty much locked into that. And it doesn't allow you to be as mobile as when you rent. And that's been the concern, especially when we have big shifts in the economy or skills and people need to move across the country. It makes it hard when you have a house you have to sell before you can move. But that's where I'm going to stick with my real estate exposure. 
All right, I think we'll have to end things there. We have run out of time. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, Ryder Taft, and our guest, Charles Mortimer, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us Tuesday mornings at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering MyTrustmark online and mobile banking services to help monitor spending, pay bills, deposit checks, transfer money, and more. Anytime, anywhere. More information at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.